0: Adapt or die. It's a simplistic proverb. You know, first of all, it should read adapt or die prematurely because you know of how death be. Death do be like that. Adapt or die. Except there's also the situation that I always keep getting myself into where I'm being attacked by one of those carnival knife throwers that can only throw knives right next to my body. And this guy, he never trained to actually hit anybody with the knives. So I just remain perfectly still and refuse to adapt my position so that I can survive long enough for him to run out of knives. And those are two very common reasons that adapt or die is too simplistic. However, if you're revising something that's clearly broken, you're not going to get anywhere just by doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Now, as with all, like, bullet lists or whatever, one of the bullets takes up most of the time. And uh, this is the one. Adaptation is where most of the work gets done in the process of revision. So let's just take a deep breath, see where we've been and where we'd like to end up. All right, recap. We started at position number one, comfort. We already had a completed work. It's easier to remain the same than to reform. Then we identified our second position, which is desire. We desire to improve upon our completed work. Then we set ourselves up for the third position, a push. We must perceive imperfections and be convinced of the necessity of adaptation. All right, so here we are. We're pushed, unsatisfied to the point at which we're willing to actually get off our bums and do something. Get off that bum, you, and stop calling him a bum. He's just going through a hard time right now because you've been sitting on him. There's another one of those... Good news, children! Messages I include with my podcast, so... Good news, children! You're clearly already somewhat well-practiced when it comes to adaptation. Seeing as, given the choice to adapt or die, you adapted. You've been chosen to give up some things you enjoy because they are antithetical to the life you want to lead. Used to be you couldn't walk, and then you adapted. Used to be you couldn't speak English, and yet here you are. I mean, otherwise... Estás un en Maybe you quit drinking, smoking, shooting arrows straight up into the air and hoping there's a stiff breeze, that sort of thing. Maybe you found a way to do one of those self-destructive habits in a way that doesn't kill you, whatever. You used to be one way, you chose to improve, and you're still here because of it. You know how to do this. I told the story in a few other episodes about how I decided to radically alter my novel The Eerie. The novel used to be filled with extraneous material. There was a weird building with red and blue zones that swirled together like one of those chocolate and vanilla soft-serve options indecisive people order at ice creameries. And then there were these characters who had nothing to do with anything. There were issues with the story that were counterproductive to what I wanted to say. It all had to go, but that didn't mean I was left with a blank slate. Uh, To see what I mean, let's get into Ironclad Nocturne, the book I'm revising and expanding at the moment. Let's examine how it moved from one sort of story to another, and how the story that it is now can teach us about adaptation and change. I've said before that this concept of armored warriors in a machine world started as a somewhat preachy examination of gender, economics, religion, etc. I haven't told you that the germ of the idea started years before that, when I was sitting in a church listening to a sermon... I actually don't remember the exact topic. All I remembered was this image of a planet overtaken by rote machinery with everything, even the people, given their appointed tasks, and unable to turn against it due to the tremendous weight behind the system. Everyone else is doing it. So it occurred to me that the way things are have a lot more to do with how we act than just pure will. All stories are about change. How people change or don't, how societies and systems change or resist change, You'll see another diagram in today's podcast artwork. It's one of the simplest stories one can tell. A before and after picture. You've seen them everywhere. They're used to advertise diet programs, financial services, the nuclear war crime, and Nagasaki. Now, what's implied by these two juxtaposed images is some sort of drastic adaptation. The diet made you healthy. The financial service made you rich. The nuke made Nagasaki an irradiated pile of rubble. And between... 130 and 226,000 unnecessary murder victims. Oh, and 150 soldiers. Turns out it was a valid military target. Lost on some is the other aspect of the before and after photo, that the latter is mostly a result of the former. So in other words, the adaptation is an essential ingredient in creating the after image, but the before image is the raw material upon which the after image is built. The after doesn't occur without the before. While everything changes, the greatest influence on what it ends up becoming is what it used to be. And the reason that this aspect is overlooked is the same reason why it's so important to my argument. It's just so obvious. The athletic person is almost exactly the same as the unathletic person. We say, what a transformation, but is it really? Most of the person's life was spent getting them to the before image. The miracle that is their mind and body has been altered only a little. So I ask you, given the miracle of a created thing, why not improve it? If you're sitting in some church somewhere or a class or just walking down the street and you're blessed with this beautiful idea that you just can't get out of your head, if you're blessed with the time and energy to turn that into something really awesome, why wouldn't you take it that extra step? In Ironclad Nocturne, I began with a plot in my head that used a tale of revenge to reveal how society makes us complicit in monstrous acts. I ended with a pretty interesting idea of where my story was going to go. That was the raw material. But what kind of fool would I be if I took the incredible gift from my first idea and refused to reconsider and refine it? I'd just be part of the machine. I'd just keep chugging along and never changing. Let's go back to the eerie. Um, I had an issue revising that novel. And it's an issue I normally have. And according to every single writing forum or book, it's a problem that everyone claims to have. I don't want my work to go to waste. I don't want to write pages and pages of material that don't get read. I know how hard it is to construct something and it pains me to deconstruct it. It can feel like I gave birth to a little baby and all the labor and all the difficulty that entails. And it's like, I'm not going to sacrifice that. I ain't going to bring something into the world and take it out of it again, you know, that's awful. But let's look at it another way. Not like killing your darlings, but reforming them. So now that we've been pushed into the necessity of fixing our work, we can soothe the pain of reconstruction. Because the surest way of saving your work you've already done is to perfect it. The idea that your ideas are precious should make you more willing to change, not less. So on the dieting example, we look at the before and after image. Sure, the adaptation may have destroyed the old in some small way, but I don't think we mourn the loss of excess fat just because it was a part of a person we loved. Adaptation is not about getting rid of ideas. It's about taking the thing you value out of what is weighing it down. You're not killing the old idea. You're not killing the thing you labored over and that you think is so darling. You're cutting the tumors off of it. You don't hate the old idea. You love it so much that you're willing to change it. So that frees you up, and honestly, assessing every aspect of your work to ask if it helps or hinders what your work is supposed to do is the only way to make your product worthwhile. Trying to design a screwdriver, right? It's probably not actually useful to build a compass into the handle. I'm trying to write a story about people learning not to manipulate one another, well, maybe don't spend a chapter writing about your red-blue swirl house like I did. Maybe strip away the characters who don't matter, or repurpose them so that they matter more. Now, I just made it sound easy, but my, my hesitation of getting rid of things that I created sort of reminds me of something that was really hard for me in the past. Um, I was anorexic in the last years of high school, and I remember two revelations that helped me to regain weight and health. The first revelation was pretty obvious, uh, that my quest for 0% body fat might get me looking the way I wanted, and might get me the control I wanted, but at the cost of my life. The second revelation was a little bit sneaky, a little sinister. See, when I stepped on the scale and saw that I'd gained another pound, I remembered that I could always lose the weight again. I'd proven that I could be stick thin. I could do it again if I wanted to, so there was really nothing to worry about in the revision, because... The old draft was still there, like you, you listening to this, you have 8-pack abs, you just don't know it, because it's hidden, it's under there somewhere, and you could be the most attractive person in the world if you're just willing to give up most of the things you enjoy. So go for it. I'm kidding. Everyone's got a different path, and another thing that really helped me out was looking at other people who I loved and respected, who actually didn't look like Rambo Stallone, See, I didn't stop chasing excellence. I actually just decided that excellence lay in another direction for me. And it does for most people. So here's two quick things you can do to chase the kinds of excellence that actually matter to you. First, make a list. Take uh, all the things that you really want to be and really want to value and really want to be a part of your life. So, all right, you can put down uh, breathing on there. It's good to keep breathing, be healthy, always good. You can include a bullet point that says, I'd like my life to have purpose. For a lot of self-sacrificial people, that actually goes higher than having a long life. Anyway, write down as many things as you want, and then start to rank them. Find out what is higher or lower on your priorities, and once you start reaching the bottom, once you start reaching like, oh yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being... THE WORLD'S GREATEST ichthyologist, But it's not, like, super important to me, compared to all these other important things. In fact, if it's on the bottom of your list, just chop it off. Give that up. You know, it's it's not as important as, like, being a better guitar player, or being a better father, mother, what have you. The list will allow you to focus in on things that you really need to be doing. Um, Same goes for your writing. What do I like best, and what is most important in my novel, or screenplay, or play, or what have you? And what's at the bottom of that list? What can I just get rid of, because it's extraneous? The Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, boy. Those only really started getting good once they decided that realism had no place in their priorities. You don't get a chase scene with a 12-ton safe, If you're going for realism and I would rather have the chase scene with the safe thank you all right and the second thing that you can do the sneaky sneaky thing you take all the work that you do and do what I do with my writing I save its life by improving it but I keep a sneaky little digital folder called old drafts where every single word I've ever written is sitting around in like an old document at the end of the writing day, I just save a copy with that day. I put it in that folder, back it up to the cloud and locally, because you never know when Vin Diesel is going to come and steal your hard drive. And all those old drafts are just sitting around, just in case I ever hate the direction that I'm taking in the revision. I've I've never opened that folder, honestly. It's a safety net. It's just there so that I'm not afraid to do the work I know deep down I need to do. It's there so that I can say the fear of ruining my work does not exist. It's just laziness because I can go back to it anytime I like. And that's why I don't think that you're doing any harm to your work by revising it. Not only are you saving the beating heart of your work, but you can also just get rid of the changes if they suck. You already proved that you could do the old thing and you could just do it again. You don't need to be precious and defensive about the old ways of doing things. This is the adaptation phase, after all. The testing phase. And the only way of protecting what's good about your work is to take away everything that isn't good about your work. Makes sense, right? So now you know that a refusal to change is pretty often just lazy. But at some point you have to stop changing the work and work on other things. We'll be discussing that in next week's podcast, where we identify the moment where we've won, so that we don't go too far. When I was thinking about writing this episode, I had a few things that didn't quite fit in. Uh, I wanted to talk about, like, NFTs, which is like a non-fungible thing. Uh, it's, it's a token that uh, some guy who was doing a piece of art every single day—sound familiar— uh, sold for, I don't know, some ridiculous amount of millions and he just sold like a digital token of it and it's it's weird because it sort of goes with what we're talking about. you know, what is the soul of your piece? If someone was going to buy your company or hire you for something, what's the soul of that company or that hire? What is the actual part of the work of art that you are paying for? What is that semi-tangible core around which everything else is kind of extraneous and doesn't really contribute to the thing you're buying? So I don't know if you've heard of the, 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 the Supreme Company or whatever they're called. Uh, basically, they can put the word supreme on almost anything and it will instantly quintuple its value. People buy crowbars and bricks that have the word supreme on them or they buy t-shirts that have the word supreme on them. And what they're buying is this kind of intangible symbol of wealth and status. And if you take that away, or if you take away the Nike swoosh or the McDonald's arches, what you're left with is something that is technically mostly the same product, but had its soul ripped out. And as I was writing this episode, I decided that's not actually super important to discuss. That's just something you think is neat. You can afford to get rid of that part of the podcast so that people aren't just like lost in the the weeds of the ending and don't completely ignore what you were saying before. But then I thought, hey, what if I use that as like a teaching moment where people can be like, oh, he didn't have to include this part of the podcast. It makes it worse. And that's what you're listening to now. It's something that was extraneous being made unextraneous, being made part of the soul of the podcast. You've been tricked. See, your work isn't wasted. Even those like terrible parts of your life that I talk about sometimes, you know, those, those hard times, like a, like a whole year of just being inside. It is suboptimal. It is bad. And I wouldn't wish it on you, but it's now something that you can use. You can look back on this time and think about, you know, what it says about human nature. You can look back at some books that you've written that won't ever go anywhere, or some, uh, I don't know, some social media post or argument that you had or whatever. You can take a look at that, and even if it is not optimal, if it's not something you would want to do again, you can learn from it. See, sometimes the adaptation and the transformation that comes between the before and after photos is usually actually dependent on what came before the before photo. So whatever led you to being unhealthy or impoverished or whatever you think wrecked your life, you came to the conclusion that that was ruining your life and that was part of the prompt that got you to change. The same thing happens in adaptation. You take a look at what came before, you realize that it's not good, And instead of writing it all off as a loss, you can take a look at that and say, oh, I found out how not to do this. It took me a long time to write this character or this fascinating study of their stamp collecting habits or whatever. Um, But that was what I had to do to discover that they were totally unnecessary. Now, you do this long enough and you just stuck in this perpetual cycle of revising. I've seen people get into that too, and that's what made me start this podcast honestly was i was stuck in a just completely unproductive improvement spiral of the book i was revising before this podcast which was the eerie and at some point if you don't want to spend the rest of your life just doing the same thing over and over and making diminishing returns at some point you just have to know that enough is enough tune in next week we're going to be discussing when it's just time to to just know you're finished and cut it out and not even trail off like what i normally do Uh oh here we are here we are again in the trail off zone i'm sorry i'm really bad at this but that's what the next uh, episode is going to be about it's about uh, fixing myself and my habit of just making these podcasts go interminably long